0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. It is our 65th episode, and I couldn't be prouder to welcome Trooper Sanders, the CEO of Benefits Data Trust, to the program. Uh, Trooper, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, I mean, we're going to talk about the future of public benefits, which is the space in which you play. Your background educationally is quite astounding, I have to say, and you're a, a, a Michigan grad as well as a graduate school in London in um, yes. Cambridge, go blue indeed. My mom is, um, I'm, I'm wearing my representative blue. Um, my mom's a Michigan grad as well. But I think what's so interesting about the topic of public benefits is that especially during the pandemic, This really, really came to light as something, you know, there were extended benefits. There are all these things. So I think the average American has become more cognizant of the fact of how many people in America perhaps are living on the edge and needing some sort of public assistance. Can we just ground ourselves first and foremost in what are public benefits, how many families, where they come from, this kind of thing?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, over the course of, of particularly the past 80 years or so, so since the New Deal, um, we have, through our political process and our democracy, made the decision to create programs to help people buy food, to boost the uh, nutrition and health of children, to help people access health care who, who can't afford it otherwise um, or receive it through their employers, uh, to go to college. Uh, that's one part of the public benefits system that EDT works on. I would be remiss if I didn't also say that we've made decisions to extend public benefits for better off people. So for example, I'm a homeowner. I get the home mortgage tax deduction. Yes. That is welfare for homeowners and better off people. I didn't do anything for it. I would have probably bought a home even without it, but I get it and it comes out of the public purse. But the benefits that I think people more classically think about um, are the ones around healthcare, nutrition, and education.
0: And, and there are many, uh, I would say, organizations or governmental agencies who provide these benefits. There are local benefits, right? There are state, perhaps they're regional, and there are federal benefits. You all at BDT operate, I think, in 16 states last year. Is that correct? Or is
1: you have diff- different activities across a number of states. That's correct.
0: Yes. And so that suggest that it's mostly state-led infrastructure, if you will, or access points. So talk to me a little bit about the current structure and what's so complicated about multiple agencies in multiple places.
1: Sure. So the largest benefits are are federal benefits, such as SNAP, or what used to be called food stamps, or Medicaid, or uh, Pell Grants, and, and, and federal student loans. Um, But most of these programs, while it's their federal programs, uh, the programs for, say, food assistance and healthcare they are administered at the state level, or in some cases, even at the county level. And so those provide the largest share of benefits. But you're correct. Um, States also have their own benefits. And here in in Philadelphia, there are a number of benefits that are unique to the, uh, the residents of Philadelphia. But the administration of these programs can be quite complicated. Now, on the one hand, when you're talking about the billions and billions of dollars of uh, the people's money that go into programs like this, you want to make sure that they are administered responsibly um, that that the and the public dollars are being put towards the purposes that they were intended. But the hard truth is that in some cases by uh, design and in other cases, uh, really by, you know, just how complicated systems operate, when it comes to the individual on the street who needs help, we've created this enormous weight of paperwork and process and what uh, the scholar Cass Sunstein calls sludge that really gets in the way from people who may be hungry or need health care and the assistance for them to buy a better bag of groceries and go to the doctor. And Benefits Data Trust has, is around to help cut through that and work with public servants and others to move us to a better place.
0: I so appreciate that. I mean, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed as I was researching the work you all do is this mission, right? I mean, all your mission, vision, values, which is the work that I do um, traditionally for companies is really powerful. And one of the things that was said uh, in this really press release that came out today, actually, as we're recording this, which is about you know uh, a week before this episode will release is that you received just now a $20 million grant from Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos of Amazon's ex-wife, um, really to help you guys improve health and economic mobility by increasing equitable access to assistance. This is really the, 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 goal, the stated intention of this 20 million. I mean, I wanna talk about the funding of these programs is almost exclusively governmental, as you said, just like a, a homeowner's tax, right? It comes out of the public purse. However, the work you all are doing as a nonprofit actually requires different funding models. So, I mean, just for a second, I think it's an amazing um, uh, display of confidence. When you get a grant like that, it shows the work that you're doing is meaningful and landing. I mean, I think I saw something like $60 billion went untapped last year of public assistance. So in a time of enormous need. So tell me a little bit about what improving access and equitable access most of all looks like, and what are the biggest barriers, besides the sludge that you just mentioned, for why people aren't accessing this?
1: Sure, and you're absolutely correct. Actually, before the COVID-19 pandemic, it was $60 billion that was left on the table. And so you could only imagine uh, some some of the challenges since. And what does that really mean in, in practical terms and perhaps for, for your listeners and viewers who might not have ever used public benefits or think about it? Yeah. Well, let's think about the, the national or community concerns that we all care about. It might be uh, you know, maternal health. It could be uh, children's education. If you're an employer and run a business, you may stay up at night thinking about, where am I gonna get the engineers and statisticians and others to fill my workforce in the years ahead so that I can stay in business and and give a decent return to shareholders. Well, addressing a lot of those concerns comes right back down to these public benefits. And we've essentially left tens of billions of dollars on the table of what I call public interest capital, that we should be investing in people to meet their daily needs and to get ahead, and then for society, for us to yield the returns. So let me make this really concrete. So one of, one of my uh, sort of side hustles is, is I'm on the National Board of Girl Scouts. And if you can think of any concern this country is facing, one of the best solutions is investing in a girl. And in particular, if you're investing in a middle school girl, let's take the economic future of America. The best thing we can do is make sure that every middle school girl is taking Algebra one by the time she leaves middle school. Because what does that do? That puts her on the pathway to calculus and higher science courses to be able to go to college or if she chooses not to go to college to pursue uh, careers in STEM that can move her from poverty to the middle class. And at scale, that means that we would have the workforce we need to keep the economy growing to address all sorts of issues. Now, how does that girl solve quadratic equations when she's hungry? When her mom can't get her to the doctor or when her mom or her grandparent can't get to the doctor or eat and have the strength and concentration to stay on top of her to do her homework. So when we think about these benefits, yes, it's about government and bureaucracy and long lines and all of that, but what we're really talking about is creating the type of neighbors, the type of colleagues, the type of of workforce that we all want to keep this country going. And that's what makes our work so exciting.
0: And it is exciting. I mean, I'm I'm jumping all over because there is a lot to to grab onto. One of the things, as as you know, you just mentioned in terms of giving people access, education has always been a, a platform. You know, I I think is, is fundamental. I mean, you know, you go back. There's lots of controversy right now about Maslow's pyramid of basic needs, right? But if you think about food, shelter, you know, water, and and basic safety then you can start moving up the ladder. You know, education is the next one. And for that self-actualization at the top of the pyramid really takes the foundation of everything else below it. And it sounds to me like that's how you see the work that you all are doing is really helping it both in, in at BDT and where you're investing your energy professionally. You've served in two White House administrations. I mean, you've spent a lot of time both in the public and private sector, kind of finding that gap between the, the, the government, public and the, and the private but I think one of the things that you're talking about is that self-actualization. And it's one of the things that really it makes me very curious as we think about public benefits, because there are these gaps. There's access gaps in terms of broadband, right? I mean, if you have to do everything online, I mean, COVID was like that. You know, you saw elderly people not being able to access things because they didn't know how to use the, the online portals. That is a major infrastructural barrier that hopefully the Build Back Blender Plan and its current machination will will help address a little bit. Mm-hmm. But are benefits actually becoming easier or harder to access so that we get more people kind of stable at that, at that you know, I don't want to say bottom of the pyramid because it has different connotations, but in the Maslow's pyramid, that that is stable.
1: So there's an enormous amount of work going on across the country. And, and at BDT, we have been fortunate to work with some amazing public servants um, who, every day, get up and they, they, are, they are chipping away at this issue. They are pushing uh, uh, to make these systems work better and be more efficient. But it's an enormous challenge. And over the decades, we've built rules and, and in some cases, trap doors. Um, uh, frankly, some of it, if we're, if we're really honest, if you look back, uh, particularly in the 1960s and before, it has some ugly racial implications. Um, of how to to, to uh, actively keep people away from, from benefits and from support. Yep. But I think what's important is while this is an enormous challenge, it is very much a solvable challenge. Yes. And so we see in our work, uh, not only the amazing work that, that my colleagues do, literally talking to people right now all across the country to help them get screened and apply for benefits, but we've seen the work of, of working on policy changes at the state, at the state level that might make uh, benefits easier for seniors to get. One of the things at the very beginning of the pandemic that, that we worked on uh, was in the, the state of Michigan, uh, uh, which, which is wonderful as, as my home state, but I I was not, did not put my thumb on the scale. But one of the things that state officials said they were concerned about was as the country was shutting down, And we remember those days where we, you know, most of us stayed at home. There were some amazing workers in in drugstores and grocery stores and first responders who frankly kept civilization going. Absolutely. Absolutely. But when when the economy shut down, um, they were concerned that college students who were receiving SNAP uh, so that they could, you know, buy a better bag of groceries and focus on their studies, um, that they were not going to be able to meet the work requirements. Mm-hmm. And so that they were going to have to toss these college students off of getting nutrition. So our, our policy team did some really wonderful work with, with looking at what we real, rule really going in deep to see what are the options that policymakers have to accommodate uh, uh, students during this period so that they can, you know, ride out the pandemic like the rest of us while making sure they could, they could eat. And the state of Michigan turned that into policy. And, and right there with that type of policy action, tens of thousands of college students across the state of Michigan were able to eat. And, and then if you think about, I mean, if you think about any college student in your life and the extraordinary stress and pressure yeah. that even the best of college students faced, imagine what would happen if you're trying to complete your studies amidst the pandemic and you can't eat
0: no it's 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 wild i mean i've done some work in in kind of we'll say very marginalized communities and it is shocking the things that so many of us take for granted and i and i have always been hopeful that this pandemic really did make a lot of us who have a roof over our head and food on the table much more cognizant and health and our health right Well, that's, that's, of the very basics
1: well i think that's actually a very important statement and something that i think we all particularly those of us who may be more fortunate and comfortable, need to need to stick with. Because I think almost all of us remember a time during the pandemic where we may have driven by one of those long food pantry lines and said, there but for grace go I, yeah. because I might not lose my job today, but I'm worried I'm gonna get that call. And oh, by the way, I just paid tuition for the kids, so I don't have the emergency savings. Yeah. Or we had to help a parent who was struggling, yeah. And we were just, we were at our wits end. And so I think that that gut feeling that so many of us had during periods of the pandemic of like, I'm doing everything that I can possibly do and it is still not adding up. And if one more thing happens in my life, this hearts, ha- house of cards could collapse. Well, there are people all across this country who that is their daily existence. Yeah. And they are showing up. And frankly, they showed up for us during the pandemic So these were folks who showed up and went to the nursing home and made sure that mom or dad got bathed and fed while putting their lives on the line. These were the folks who made sure that we could buy our groceries or frankly, for some of us who delivered our groceries when we didn't want to leave our homes. So imagine what what they are dealing with and the fact that we have these benefits that can just provide just that bit of support and help. So maybe you can get a checkup. Maybe you can buy dinner. Maybe you can uh, help your kid go to school. So then you can move on and do the other things in life. And so why wouldn't we do everything possible to make it as easy for people to buy a better bag of groceries that frankly, you or I could sit on our computers right now and apply for a million dollar mortgage yeah. and go through less hassle than someone who's trying to get a couple hundred dollars to buy food.
0: Well, that's the, that's the unfairness and the, the, the equitable part of this, right? Um, And systems are complicated. I mean, we're seeing this in in every aspect of, especially of government, right? Things get built upon things, get built upon things. They don't start from fresh as we have the opportunity in the private sector. And so I think that's what I'm understanding more increasingly, Troopers, the work that BDT is doing is really helping break through these kind of the muck you know, the sludge, in order to really help people just get the access they need. Because the goal, of course, no one wants to be having to access these benefits, right? I mean, there's probably another barrier, I don't know this, but I'm sure there's a psychology to the pride aspect Absolutely. of this, right? Um, that you Absolutely. don't want to.
1: Well, and that, that stigma piece is very important. Because we, we talk to people all the time who may have received our letter, and this particularly happened at the beginning of the pandemic where they may have received a letter from us saying you might be eligible for help to buy food. And they called us and they said, you know, I found your letter or I had it sitting on the side for months and I was embarrassed or I didn't wanna take this benefit away from someone else but I was hungry. Can you imagine for those of us who, who, who run through life making sure life works out for us, sitting at home being hungry because we're too ashamed to ask for help or we're thinking that, well, maybe my neighbor is more hungry than I am. Right. And so one of the things I think that we can do as a society is frankly, change the narrative around public benefits. So for example, how many of us have been in conversations bragging about the home mortgage deduction? Mm -hmm. You buy a house, you're like, Oh, I got a great deduction. Oh, my, 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 my tax refund is going to be great. You don't hear people bragging about getting a Pell grant. Right. We don't. And and by
0: the way, the interest rate on a Pell Grant is insane. As you know, as as I know, it's it's the our mortgage rates are about not even a quarter of it.
1: Well, then, if you think about the the student loan differential and and home mortgages. But why don't we think about when we when we think about Pell Grants, um, there's a there's a bit of shame around it. You don't have people putting on their resumes. I'm a Pell Grant scholar. Yeah, because we're supposed to be quiet and ashamed if you struggle or if you're middle class or trying to enter the middle class and you need a bit of help. But if you're more fortunate and you get your deduction to buy the electric vehicle or to buy a home, oh, we brag about that. That's, that's barbecue conversation. So well, I think is, we need to, yeah.
0: This is really, I mean, we don't have a huge amount of time left and I feel like it's a little bit of a can of worms trooper. But, I mean, you have spent a lot of time in the public sector. You know, you've seen the politics up close and personal at the highest levels of this country. Mm-hmm. I am stunned on a regular basis to hear this narrative of like socialism, right? Like, and this, this, this conversation around public benefits as somehow, you know, these are people who don't want to work. These are people who don't want to do better. And I think what's so crazy to me about it is my immediate jump—you just gave even better examples, right, of the electric vehicle, the etc. But I always look at it as like, you know, when there's an emergency, a climate crisis, a hurricane, you know, people—the same people who are saying like, you know, we shouldn't have handouts—are like, government, where's my money, you know, for my emergency disaster relief? And it's the same thing. And I always say like, you can't have socialism in bad times, right? And pure raw, unadulterated libertarian capitalism, like in 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 good ones. And I just think to myself, like, how do we change this narrative and stop the judgment, you know, and expand benefits? Because when, you know, it's like that rising tide lifts all ships, right?
1: Well, I I I think this is an important debate for and conversation for our country to have. And I would encourage people to go back and read their Adam Smith. I'm a capitalist and I'm an Adam Smith guy. But if you read the Wealth of Nations, if you read theory of moral sentiments, Yes, he talks about the pen factory and how you you know, do all of that to, to, to get output. But Smith was very clear about the social challenges that comes uh, with economic growth. And he was also very clear about the whole. We can have competition. We can pursue wealth. And we can treat people with dignity. And, and in fact, let's be clear. Let's go back to that seventh grade Girl Scout who's taking Algebra 1. She is the future of our economic growth. Absolutely. She is the future workforce. She's the one who's going to make sure that the companies who all of our pension schemes are invested in, and we need them out there competing, we need them out there creating wealth so that when we're 70, 80, 90 years old, we're having a comfortable life. That seventh grade girl whose family may be eligible for Medicaid and SNAP and other things, so it's, we're not. this isn't about charity. Public benefits is not about charity. Public benefits is really about the self-interest we all have in having a healthy, civilized, growing society where everyone is able to meet their needs, where everyone is able to contribute and everyone can help us grow and succeed. And so I think part of the conversation that we need to have I'm comfortable having a conversation about how do we how do we grow and expand American capitalism. Not all may agree with that. But, you know, I'm comfortable having that conversation because then we can talk about, well, look, we have a lot of of older Americans who go hungry, who go without health care. And but they have many, many years, one, to live with dignity. But also, guess what? That seventh grade Girl Scout, when mom and dad are working a double shift, guess who's going to make sure that she does her homework? It's Absolutely. going to be grandma, so let's make sure she's healthy. Absolutely. So capitalism is all about people contributing and competing, and you can't do that unless we are all healthy and well off at scale.
0: I, I I have so many other questions we didn't even get to talk about the role of partners, but honestly, Trooper, we're going to wrap it there because it couldn't have been said more eloquently. You know, this is a conversation about you know the future of public benefits, but it's really a conversation about our future.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Um, if you want to learn more, bdttrust.org is the website. Um, Trooper is uh, just really a pleasure to have you. Uh, and for everyone listening, if you don't already subscribe to Future of XYZ, make sure you do so on YouTube or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Future of XYZ or nominate future guests at Future of XYZ. We look forward to seeing you next week. And Trooper, again. It's a pleasure. And thank you for all the amazing work you're doing.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Gronnick on LinkedIn, visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.